Welcome to another episode of Biohacking Beauty Podcast. I'm very excited to have you here today with us. My guest today is a personal friend and an incredible person. Uh, his name is Ben Azadi. Uh, a little bit about him. In 2008, Ben went through a personal health transformation of shedding over 80 pounds of pure fat. And ever since, Ben, who is also a functional diagnostic nutritionist practitioner, has been on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. Ben's the author of four best-selling books, Keto Flex, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep. Ben has been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and ketogenic diet. He's known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and he educates, not medicates, to bring the body back to normal function. Ben is the founder of Keto Camp, a global brand bringing awareness to ancient healing strategies such as the keto diet and fasting. And he's also the host of a top 15 podcast, the Keto Camp Podcast, which won Keto Podcast of the Year in 2022 by the Metabolic Health Summit. Ben has the fastest growing Keto Camp YouTube channel with over 150 subscribers, uh, 150,000 subscribers, and TikTok channel with over 285,000 subscribers and over 46 million video downloads. So he was also a keynote speaker who most recently delivered a keynote lecture at, for KetoCon 2022, and he's been featured in Forbes, LA Weekly, Disrupt Magazine, New York Times Magazine, LA Entertainment Weekly, and other publications. On a more personal note, I call him the Oracle of Metabolic Health, and you're going to hear about why, or the Oracle of Metabolic Flexibility, and you'll hear why. But uh, yeah, very, very excited to have him on. What you will learn in, in this episode, or what we're going to dive deep into, is let's call it the intersection of well-being, health, optimized health, and mental attitude, which I think what makes him special is the fact that he educates you, educates the end consumer in the best way to develop a mindset of someone who is passionate about the passionate about their health and can then make decisions accordingly. So you'll learn first of all what what it means to have, you know, to, to develop a mentality that cultivates, you know, well-being and optimized health. You'll learn how to take baby steps in order to to achieve not only weight loss and optimized health and skin for that matter, but also how to take baby steps to improve your lives. It's a real turnkey ability to improve any aspect of your lives and last but not least i think you will learn about metabolic flexibility and what it means to be metabolically healthy so very very amazing episode i'm very excited for you guys to listen to it before we dive uh, into today's episode i would just like to remind you that it would mean the world to me and to us here at the biohacking beauty podcast if you took two seconds out of your day to subscribe to the podcast not only that it will make sure that you will never miss an episode, but it also greatly improves our visibility so other people can listen to the podcast, get the information that you enjoy, and the podcast is going to grow. Last but not least, I'm reminding you that this podcast is brought to you by Young Goose. 
the biohacking skincare company. And what we do here at Young Goose, a company that I co-founded together with the beautiful Anastasia, is we lower the, we aim to lower the functional age of the skin, having the skin behave and have the ability to, to function like a younger skin. And then we can give the skin direction. We can ask the skin to do specific things uh, with different products. So go ahead, go to younggoose.com, complete a questionnaire or talk to one of our licensed estheticians uh, on our chat and get your Young Goose today. But now, without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Ben Azadi. All right, Ben Azadi, welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. My brother, I'm so excited to be here with you. I love you and I love your work, so thanks for having me. Yeah, this is like, first of all, me, me too. I mean, that, that was the... Uh, with all the respect to our guests, like in general, you are definitely one of the guests that I like personally the most. And like, I, I regard you as a friend and I'm very excited to have you on this podcast with us because as I said off air, I believe that you are the oracle of metabolic flexibility and uh, what it means to eat like an optimal human. So maybe we will start by you explaining your approach to, so you have a company, it's called Keto Camp, right? You, you uh, wrote a book called Keto Flex. And what I love about what you do is, is the controversial aspects of, of <laughs> the controversial niche of, of, of your uh, approach to metabolism or to what is healthy, what is healthy eating. So maybe in, in a short, in a few words, like what is your approach to, to eating? What do you think is healthy or not? Yeah. So uh, Oracle of metabolic flexibility. Thank you for that. It's the first time <laughs> somebody has called me that. I appreciate that, yeah. brother. The name of the game is metabolic flexibility, but what exactly is that? It's kind of an overused yeah, term these for days. Sure. It's the ability to burn or use both primary substrates. So glucose or fat, yeah. aka sugar or ketones. Most people in America, 88% to be exact, according to that University of North Carolina Chapel Hill study in 2018, 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. They mm -hmm. are sugar burners. They are primarily burning sugar. They have high blood pressure, high fasting glucose, high fasting insulin, metabolic damage. So yeah. they really need to shift over to the other side and burn fat. But then we have people in the keto space who are in a different way, metabolically inflexible because all they're doing is burning fat. So yeah. the goal is to be able to re be really good at going back and forth. And that's pretty much what our ancestors did. They had the adaptability to use both of those energy systems. So that in a nutshell is what I teach. And, and behind that is using ancient healing strategies to achieve that. Yeah, I think that's very important because it's very difficult to justify everything that we are doing and that is healthy for us in looking at uh, prehistorical justifications for it. But for the most part, if we find something is healthy, I mean, probably in everything that is healthy, we can trace it back to a, a fundamental need or demand of our paleolithic environment. So basically, you know, if you look at the paleo diet or diets that are kind of married to that idea, they need to start bending the rules a little bit in order to justify th some things that are healthy or unhealthy. But going the other way around, like looking at how do we like function optimally? And then, you know, part of that evidence 
you know, cascade should be, okay, look at that as well. That's what happens, you know, when we live under certain conditions and that's why our body does this is, is to me, it speaks to me way more than, than that, that Puritan approach of one or the other. But when you say metabolically unhealthy, what's unhealthy about it? You know, unfortunately, when we use the word optimal, it kind of means that there is a, it's a zero sum game. There is a right and a wrong side, right? And a lot of people are going to be like, well, if I can just burn sugar for that matter, what's so wrong with it? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Well, when you are constantly burning sugar, it creates a lot of reactive oxygen species, free radicals, too much for the cells, the mitochondria to keep up with. So when I lecture, I always show a slide of a one firefighter in front of an entire building that's on fire with all the smoke. The firefighter can't keep up with that yeah. amount of smoke. So that's kind of what it's like when your cells are in this constant sugar burning state. When you are in ketosis, then it's like having a fleet of firefighters on call to put out these fires. Um, mm-hmm. That's where these, this mitochondria uncoupling comes from. Plus, you get more energy, more mitochondria. So there's so many cool benefits. But what categorizes somebody as unhealthy was your original question. In that study, they looked at blood pressure. They looked at triglycerides. They looked at uh, fasting glucose, BMI. Uh, BMI is kind of hit or miss. But they looked at several metrics. And that was their determination after that study. 8,000 plus people in that study, 10 years, and 88% of them were unhealthy. And that was before COVID. probably got worse after that. And some simple things to pay attention to for you know your audience without having to test is you know do you wake up feeling refreshed um, after you eat a meal are you is your are your energy level stable or do you kind of crash mm-hmm. are you twenty pounds or more overweight do you have a belly I mean these are like simple things we could pay attention to and see if there's some metabolic challenging things going on yeah yeah I mean that's very smart and and obviously as a company that obsessed with longevity or with maintaining a healthy body over time. What you said about having uh, fewer uh, firefighters controlling a fire uh, is direct to the point because what the way that I really describe aging is the accumulation of unrepaired damage uh, over time. So every time you and the problem is is that it becomes a snowball. Obviously, an older tissue has so many fires, your body needs to start prioritize. So maybe our first priority is like not to create more fires. Maybe that would be number one priority. And then obviously reinforce how we take care of those fires. So why on the other side of it, why would someone not do keto diet all the time or be in ketosis all the time if that is the way for us to mitigate the amount of fires, et cetera? Yeah, it's a good point and a good question. And and the reason is this, being in ketosis is a stress to your body. It's a beneficial stress like exercise and Mm -hmm. fasting can be, but the signal that the body gets when it's in ketosis is that you're going through famine, starvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not a lot of food readily available. So our ancestors all went through this when they didn't have food readily available or all they had was meat, fat, and protein. It signals to your body that you're in this kind of stressed survival state. And what happens is hormesis, right? That you get the mm-hmm. benefit of this hormetic stress where the body has to adapt. So you get an upregulation of glutathione. You get the mitochondria that are duplicating and creating more ATP. You get the mitochondria uncoupling, which is lowering these free radicals. Mm-hmm. But then if you stay with it too long, it's like it's too much stress. So just like you wouldn't exercise like you're not going to be amatai and wrestle and fight two hours a day, but other people who uh, overly exercise two to three hours every day and they don't recover, it's too much stress for the body to adapt to. Then you mm-hmm. go from getting the benefits of exercise stress to now hurting yourself. And that's exactly what's happening with ketosis. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, 
Hormesis is the name of the game, but hormesis really is, unfortunately, sometimes it's being described as the proverbial whatever, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but it's not really true, right? There is a kind of biphasic approach. You have too little, which doesn't mean a lot, but you, very quickly you can get to too much, which would be counterproductive. And right. that, that kind of all ties together because the problem with stress is stress that the body innately feels chemically or innately feels that it does not have an answer to, that it cannot cope with. That is when stress kind of becomes negative stress. Uh, we can see it in our, obviously in our psyche, when we have a challenge, which is something that we can describe as something that we are going towards and want and, and feel that we have the capability to then handle, or something that is a negative stress that we feel that we don't have the, the capability to contain and to, to, to overcome or whatever. But it is also chemically. We can talk about NAD, what happens when you don't have enough NAD to repair your genome, etc., or any part of your body. But again, going back to ketosis, we can see people who have been in ketosis for a very long time they might have areas where they are extremely healthy. Maybe they don't have any belly fat, but we can see other areas uh, such as their skin or, or, or their VO2 max or things like that that are not optimal that can be improved. So how can we find a balance? Is there any evidence in literature for what, how a balance looks like? How do we even aim for that balance? There's no research that's going to show you this is how much time you should spend in ketosis this is how much time you should spend out because uh, be out of ketosis because there's so many variables at play mm -hmm. so that's where it's kind of like trial and error uh, yeah. but I'll, i have some general rules because I'll, I'll share with your audience right now my general rules and, and what i believe would work for most people because i've taken thousands and thousands of people through these protocols yeah. and i've kind of extracted um synthesized what has worked um, yeah. and got rid of what has not worked. And I'm still learning to this day. So let's say somebody is type 2 diabetic, insulin resistant, which is a lot of people in America. Mm -hmm. They would need to spend more time in ketosis. They would need more time to d deal with that those high insulin and glucose levels. So that would be an approach where maybe around the four to six month mark of doing ketosis and intermittent fasting strategies, they test their markers and see how, where their markers are at. And if they see vast improvements, they should start flexing. I call it keto yeah. flexing. So many different ways to flex. It could be a day where you just have healthy carbs, healthy high carbs, and get yourself out of ketosis. Or if it's somebody who still has type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance, it would just be a high caloric day, high protein day, no fasting sort of day. So there's kind of strategic ways to do that. Now, for the average healthy person like Amitai, myself, if you just are starting with ketosis, I like being in there for about three months to get you keto adapted mm -hmm. and start flexing. So those are the, the two kind of general rules of thumb that I follow and teach. Is there a way for us to understand our metabolic flexibility um, ability by measuring how fast we get into ketosis? What are the measurements that you're looking at? Only ke blood ketones? What, what's going on there? Yeah, I'm a big fan of looking at different measurements. So if you, if I could get a CGM on somebody, a continuous mm -hmm. glucose monitor, that'll give me some really good data. Because, you know, in general, your fasting glucose around 70 to 90 milligrams per deciliters is a good marker to hit. And then looking at postprandial glucose is a good way to assess your metabolic flexibility. You yeah. never want to see your postprandial, meaning after eating glucose, go over 140 milligrams per deciliters. There are There is research to show that when it goes over 140, 
there is a, a potentially blood vessel damage occurring. Mm -hmm. So looking at your one hour after eating, where is your glucose? Two hours after eating, it should be close to where it was before you started eating. So the to, to give you an example, if you're 88, fasting glucose is 88, and then you break your fast and eat a meal, two hours after eating, it should be really close back to that 88. That's a good sign of metabolic flexibility. But if you're hovering at 125, 155, you've got some metabolic damage going on mm -hmm. and you got to fix that. Now, your other question was, if you intentionally got yourself in ketosis, if you have good metabolic flexibility, you should be back in. If your goal is to get back in the next day within 24 hours, that's how I could do it. I could mm -hmm. have 200 grams of carbs. We could go to dinner. Amitai, I could have 200 grams of carbs and then fast tomorrow. And then within 24 hours, I'm back in ketosis. That would be a good sign of metabolic flexibility as well. Mm -hmm. And that would be mainly through CGM. That would be mainly through uh, breath or blood ketones. What Do you have any opinion about any of those? Yeah. So when you're testing ketones, there's there's three different methods because there's three different types of ketones. So mm -hmm. the breath is what expels uh, the ketone body acetone. Mm -hmm. And then urine is uh, expelling acetoacetate. And then the blood is beta-hydroxybutyrate. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will choose the urine strips because they're the cheapest uh, way to measure ketones. But the bad news is that they're not going to give you the full picture. They might give you an accurate measurement in the first week or so. But once your cells and bodies getting better at metabolizing ketones, the acetoacetate won't spill out in your urine and it'll just give you a false negative. And you might very well be in ketosis, but you might not see that with those urine strips. So I don't like the urine strips. Mm -hmm. Breath meters over the years have been kind of hit or miss. Um, there is one that I like and trust. I've interviewed their scientists and their technology is great. It's called Biosense. Mm -hmm. They're measuring acetone. So that's one way. But I, I do think the gold standard for ketone testing right now is beta-hydroxybutyrate blood. And I use a, a company called Keto Mojo to test that. It's a finger prick. So that would be the best way to measure ketones at this point of time. And is there, are there other things to come? I mean, the, uh, the ability to extrapo extrapolate excretion through the skin is, I mean, we've been talking about it for five to seven years, but it's not there yet. When you say currently, do you see anything uh, in the near future that will either replace it or, or be more, I don't know, more accessible? Yeah, there are some companies that are working on a continuous ketone monitor. That yeah. is going to be super cool. That company that does that, they're going to make a lot of money. Uh -huh. uh, and then the company that does a, a continuous fasting monitor as well is also going to make a lot of money. So those yeah. are some cool things. Yeah, hopefully in the in the in the near future. And as you said, like the, again, there is a lot of correlation between overall metabolic flexibility, metabolic health, and longevity. It might be the best way to, if you needed to measure one area of your life and extrapolate longevity, it might be metabolic metabolic health and metabolic flexibility. And it's quite obvious when I say it like that. But if we look at specific markers, whether it is you know, uh, uh, insulin spike, you can extrapolate, you know, the, not only inflammation and arterial damage, but you can also extrapolate things like the senescent cell accumulation in your body. You can look at immune response. You can look at AGEs, which is, which is the action of glycation basically in your body. So that's uh, one area. And the other, again, if we want to look at the what I believe is a better way to look at longevity and how we can optimize, optimize longevity. We can look at that ketosis ability or the being in ketosis as a stressor, a positive stressor in the body, which then helps us go back and repair some of those processes. Because 
I mean, literature is full of famine signaling molecules or processes and the body's innate processes of, of repair, right? Is it something that you talk about at all when you try to get people motivated? Yeah, that's exactly what Dr. Pompa teaches, right? Yep. Feast, famine, cycling. And, and one thing we can all agree is that caloric restriction extends lifespan, but it's so hard to just tell people to eat less. It's actually bad advice, I believe, mm -hmm. to tell people to just eat less. But how could you mimic that sort of survival mechanism that takes place during caloric restriction? Well, intermittent fasting has similar benefits without the drawbacks if you do it right. Again, hormetic, stay in that hormetic zone. Mm -hmm. And ketosis, you know, the name of the game is adaptation. And stress is not bad as long as you adapt to the stress. The mm -hmm. minute you don't adapt, you talk about this, Amate, that's the minute that stress becomes bad. Yeah. But if you're never stressing your body, what happens if you sit in a bed for 30 days? You begin to deteriorate. You need stress. Stress is important. So ketosis is right up there. So is fasting. So is exercise. So is cold baths and red light therapy and all the things you speak about. These are all great stressors for your body to adapt from. Yeah, I mean, you're always, I, in my opinion, you're always adapting. You are also adapting to being a couch potato. You might, yes, in the end, look true. like a potato because that's what you would have would have adapted to. I mean, like we did say it before in different podcast episodes that we have our liver, for example, is a new liver every two to three years. We have half a heart every 25 years, blood cells every 120 days. So we are actually a different person. Different parts of our body are a different person every so often. And what determines the person that we are is that stress that is staying within the hormetic window of adaptation. So 100%. Say that again. Half a heart every 25 years. Half a heart every 25 years. Liver two to three years. Blood cells every 120 days. I mean, we can go I mean, joints every seven years, more or less. I mean, so the, the list goes on and on and on. But in the end... Same every 28 days, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. T 21 to 28 days depends on what skin or, you know, where, who you are, et cetera, uh, your age, et cetera. And you, if you can think about it, it's, it is, it happens because of two things. And these two things are, are important, almost mutually exclusive, but important for longevity. First are cells and their, what we call the high flick limit, like how many times they can split or how many times they can kind of renew themselves and how do they do it? So do they die properly when they, when they finish their cycle? Did they then make new cells for that matter um, that were co behaving correctly? And a lot of what aging is, is that misbehavior of the information of our cells. But the other one is, and we kind of talked a little bit about it off air, is uh, the mobilization of stem cells. So your body releases stem cells from its bone marrow every day in order for them to become new cells. Okay, so they kind of migrate to where they are needed through different cues, and they become new cells that then can propagate, function properly within the, the context of the tissue. And both things can go wrong mutually exclusive, but also obviously if we're not treating our body well, we can assume everything's going to go wrong, right? And if you are not stressing the body in a way where, for example, let's say a shoulder joint, you're not going to move it a lot. Not only that the cells there are going to split and kind of divide themselves in a way where 
you are you are getting a tissue that is less mobile because you've never kind of explored its its abilities but also there you would get less stem cells there because there would be less like micro tears and less stimulation to attract cells to this area so i mean this is that's kind of the nitty-gritty of it but if we kind of zoom out we can really look at it as we are because we are a new person slowly gradually as we as we age and if we don't ask the body to to become a certain way it's going to adapt but it's not going to be in the way that we we want it so we kind of choose how the body who we are in the future if you would beautiful it's empowering it's amazing you you could literally create an entire new body with the decisions you make every single day you are it's it's inspiring you are doing it whether yeah exactly you're doing it either way whether it's for the good or for the bad yeah i mean i think that's that's why i like having conversations with you because they are they are uh you know they're they tend to go to the philosophical realms like really quickly and in my opinion uh only my opinion we are there is nothing beyond our habits i mean there is uh we are we are not a real person. We are just a, a an accumulation of habits. And everything that we do, we can really be aware that it is a conditioned response. Obviously, we have our, our kind of baseline of, of why those habits were formed to begin with. But we are only habits. I mean, if you look at people who are adopted and they say, oh, you know, they are, they, they, we see that they do this, they, you know, scratch their nose like they're, the, like their uh, biological father or whatever. This is still a habit that we notice. It can have like a DNA, you know, reason or whatever, but it's still a habit. So I think everything is a habit. And part of like being aware or doing like meditation or whatever that is, is in order for us to realize, to catch ourselves in the moment when we have a bad ha- habit and, you know, nip it in the bud and, and do something else instead. And I think... You know, when we talk about <laughs> about the obviously the most important habit to cultivate as we as we t- as it pertains to longevity again is your diet, is your metabolic flexibility, is the is the understanding that you'll never you'll never automate that that decision making. There there won't be an ability to just educate your body to do something, and then you'll crave only the good things all the time. It's almost like an an ongoing battle. In my opinion, maybe you've you've found a way to crack the the code, but that's what I think. Um, maybe that's why you need someone to to like yourself with it with uh, with an amazing podcast, so people could have it, you know, repeating in their ear all the time, so that you can kind of hypnotize them to make the good decisions all the time. Yeah, I, I love that you brought this up. Um, I do agree with you that we are essentially our habits, but then mm-hmm. the question is asked: What creates our habits, right? Yeah. And I believe what creates our habits is our thoughts, but what mm-hmm. creates our thoughts is our environment, which is mm-hmm. kind of what you said. So that's why it's important to be selective of your environment. If you live in America, you have the choice to choose your environment. So yeah. be selective of your environment, the people you hang out with, number one, because that's going to determine your thoughts and then your thoughts will determine your actions. But how do you change the paradigm? Because that's mm-hmm. essentially what it is. It's the, It's a multitude of habits embedded into our subconscious mind that determine our day-to-day decision-making, at least the majority of our habits. It's our paradigm. And our paradigm is pretty much developed during the first seven years of our life. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton has taught this. uh, Bob Proctor, who's the image behind me, has taught this. And from my understanding, 
there's only two primary ways or two only ways, only two ways to change the paradigm. Number mm -hmm. one is an emotional impact, right? And an example of that would be what happened in 9-11 in New York mm -hmm. City, 2001. Uh, so that was an emotional impact for a lot of people who were involved with 9-11. Maybe they lost somebody they loved or maybe you were actually in it. That yeah. changed your paradigm and then you started changing your thoughts, which changed your actions and behaviors. That's an emotional impact. When I lost my dad in 2014 to the complications of diabetes and he had a stroke, that was an emotional impact that changed my thoughts and then my habits. That's one way to change your paradigm. Ideally, that's not the route we want to go to. Usually there's a lot of suffering. It's usually a negative mm -hmm. impact. Yeah. The second way is what you described. It's the constant repetitive actions with coaching. Like podcasts is a, a way of getting coaching, but doing it consistently enough where you create new neural pathways, new neural mm -hmm. groups. Now it's just firing uh, as automatic, right? Yeah. There's a study from the University of College London that says it takes about 66 days to create these new patterns. Some people say 28 days, some people yeah. say 21 days, but let's say it's around 66, but it can be done. And it, it reminds me of, of when I wanted to change a behavior a few years ago, the behavior was getting into my car, Amitai, and the first thing <laughs> I would do would be, I would play music. I would play Spotify and I, uh -huh. the music, behavior change was I wanted to listen to an audiobook, mm -hmm. but I haven't changed that neural groove yet. So I remember getting into my car, playing music, and then a minute into it, I'm like, oh, I said I was going to listen to a book and then turn off the music, open up the book, the audiobook, And then over time, I started to become more aware and getting better at that. And then eventually it got to a point where the first thing I did was play the audiobook instead of the, mm -hmm. the, the uh, music, right? So these are like the way that it kind of works, but that's what it reminded me of. It's like the paradigm is what we really want to change here. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's uh, so important to, to talk to you because you are really breaking down a biological mechanism that is neuroplasticity or, or let's say, um, greasing grooves in your brain for that matter and breaking it down to, to actions because we can have a, a spike in neuroplasticity because there, there was a serious event. As, as you said, normally it, it is associated with a lot of pain. That's why a lot of people are, you're going to hear them say something like the fact that fill in the blank, whatever that was happened to me was a blessing in disguise because that made me fill in the blank, right? And that can be something that is a person from the outside can never understand why it was blessing in disguise, uh, you know, cancer, or obviously losing someone you love is a little bit different, but some kind of hardship that made a complete 180 in someone's life. On the other hand, it is a, it normally is an outside stimulus that doesn't require your super awareness to, to create a shift, right? Because if you are talking about an audiobook or, or, um, he, you know, washing your face at night, uh, brushing your teeth that extra time a day or whatever that is. These are things that really require, especially in the beginning, a lot of awareness of the process, a, a lot of awareness that you're going to do it once, you're going to do it well, then you're going to fall off the wagon, and then you're going to kind of take it back or whatever. So that is something that, I mean, I think what we're trying to do here in this podcast is really Again, like greasing those grooves, but especially trying to get people back on the horse, you know, understanding everyone's falling off. We have so many habits that we, everything is a habit. So we, we are not a perfect person. We're never a perfect person. We always try to, you know, tweak the things that we, that we are not doing perfectly with our health, with whatever that is. And 
we have to have an environment that, again, we talked about hormesis. The environment also needs to be something in the middle, not something that is going to be so out of reach that you won't even try. But on the other hand, not something that's going to drag you down. Again, like I know who your friends are. They're extremely they're amazing people. I mean, the, the best people I met in the last few years were because <laughs> I got invited to dinners with you. So do you think we should just surround ourselves with, let's say we had the opportunity with like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the president of, I don't know, someone that everyone likes. I don't want to be like, you know, <laughs> like extremely high achievers, or do you want to have some something in the middle as well with that? So you don't get, you know, a little bit like disheartened. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? If you, if you surround yourself with people that are like super achievers, mm-hmm. we have a tendency to put them on pedestals yeah. and then put ourselves in the pit. And that's how Dr. <laughs> John Martini describes it. We put people on pedestals and we put ourselves uh-huh. in the pit. So I, I do think it's important to be around people who are doing amazing things that you would like to do something similar mm-hmm. because it gives you permission, but you have to have the awareness that what they're doing is a permission for you to do it, not them being able to do it and being so gifted and you not being gifted yeah. and putting yourself down. So it's important to understand that. Um, but and, and nothing is going to be perfect. We're, we're not going to be able to surround ourselves with only high achievers. Mm-hmm. The goal is this. Be really aware of the people in your life who are draining you. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have my students do an activity where they grab a blank piece of paper. They put a line down the middle, a line at the top, so kind of like a cross uh, on the page. And then on the left side, they think of their top relationships of people in their life who um, are charging them up. So mm-hmm. people that they have a conversation with, like Amitai, when we go to dinner with Paul, who introduced me to you, mm-hmm. and you know our great friends, your wife, my fiance, I leave those dinners and the conversations that I have with you and everybody else charged up, inspired, yeah. like I feel good, right? That That's a good sign. You want to put mm-hmm. those people on the left side of the paper. It might be a short list, so be aware of that. But you know, categorize and do an audit on those chargers in your life. Yeah. On the right side, think of the people in your life who are complaining, they're gossiping. You have a conversation with them and you feel drained. They're not supporting you. You identify who they are. You do an audit. And then once you have done that audit and you see exactly the people who are chargers versus drainers, your goal is to spend at least 80% of your time on the left side with the chargers. And as long as you're doing that, you're going to develop good habits. And then eventually, yeah, that'll be great to be around high achievers so they could pull you up. But that exercise is important because as long as we stick to the side of drainers, it's going to be really hard to change that paradigm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's an an amazing exercise, especially I think it always like comes back to you after a while when you do it well, then you start asking yourself, am I on this guy's left side of the chart or the right side? (laughs) Exactly. I wanted to take a quick break for this episode to chat with you about our Young Goose skincare product and our special offer for our podcast listeners. Our products are the world's first biohacking skincare products. And what they aim to do is to reboot uh, your skin cells to a youthful state so they can correct the cellular damage that is accumulated over time. Our favorite products and the one that we recommend everyone to start with are is our care concentrated moisturizer that can be used as both a day and a night cream. What this product is really specially delivering to the skin is 
our NAD precursors that are nano-sized and lipolized. They are both NR and NMN. And what they aim to do is to fuel the repair processes that our skin engages in by activating also our sirtuins, which are our anti-aging genes or our longevity genes that are responsible for DNA repair and basically repairing who we are really as human beings. In order to do that in the most effective way, we combine it with our enhanced resveratrol, which is fermented resveratrol that allows resveratrol to be 50 times more bioavailable in the skin and actually non-toxic because most people don't know that resveratrol is actually toxic for the skin since the skin doesn't have the enzyme to break it down like our gut does. So by fermenting the the resveratrol and introducing the enzymes in the fermentation process, we can obviously make it non-toxic and 50 times more bioavailable. And Care Concentrated Moisturizer also has 10 more active ingredients that support those processes, such as CoQ10, PQQ, two forms of vitamin C, and even turmeric and B vitamins. This is the first product we recommend. The second is eye care, which is a version of care specifically for the eyes. It also contains our NAD precursors and also contains very, very advanced peptides, our proprietary complex that includes GHKCU, a copper peptide that is very famous for its anti-aging abilities. The third product we recommend is our ProCare Serum. And that is a very special serum because it interacts with the mTOR pathway, which is a pathway that is very famous for its ability to affect how we age. So this product does a few things, but really what it does, it eliminates senescent cells, which are cells that harm our skin because our skin couldn't clear them very well. So it eliminates those, regenerates the skin. It stimulates the mitochondria with lilac uh, cell culture extract. And it also has a very strong and effective form of vitamin C that is well known to help the skin regenerate itself. Combining these three products by first applying ProCare, then eye care, and then care will give you the best results you've ever experienced for your skin and that we guarantee. If you would like to try these products, you can head over to younggoose.com to our website. And when checking out, please use the promo code PODCAST20 in all capital letters in order to get 20% off your first purchase. Again, head over to younggoose.com and use promo code PODCAST20 in all capitals for 20% off your first purchase. And now let's get back to the podcast. You know, uh, talking about, so Anastasia that you mentioned a second ago, she went back, uh, she had a vacation with her family uh, not long ago. And there's there was someone there that was not, let's say they weren't metabolically flexible just to, to take it easy on them. And obviously coming from America to another country and bestowing your words of wisdom on someone else so graciously (laughs) and telling them what they should do with their life doesn't work so well most of the time, (laughs) right? And the way that she did create an impact, and obviously impact should be measured over time, but the way that she created the impact that she could create was by setting an example, by being that person on the left side of the chart. I think the only thing you can do if you if the people in your life are on the right side, for example, or, or people who are energy drainers, yes, yeah, still spend 20% with them, but make sure that when you are 
when you are in that 20% is that you are, you're on the left side. At least you're, you're, again, you're allowing them to be that person that, that is a, a charging person. That's a great point. But it's crazy to me that I, I see it over and over again. Like I'm talking to someone that's supposed to be an expert in a specific area. Like you are the, again, as I say, the oracle of metabolic flexibility. You have a course people, a course people pay, I mean, to get to get a, a window into what is possible as far as getting their metabo- metabolism optimized. But then you very quickly are becoming a mental coach to some to some people. Like it is, it's almost like you can't uncouple those um, uh, yeah, two things. So true. Yeah. So how does your when you approach a system, and obviously your system is is well celebrated. Why or why, in your own words, do you spend time on mental a mental approach, or how long, how much of the meat of the program is that mental approach, and some, and how how much of it is the laundry list of what someone should do? I, I believe that ninety five percent of success is psychology, mental five yeah. percent strategy. Mm-hmm. So a big chunk of what I teach, everything has some sort of mental, um, I call it the mental six pack, mm-hmm. sprinkle it to it because I've seen so many people, including myself, yeah. follow nutrition perfectly, have the best supplements, do the best intermittent fasting, go to CrossFit and still not get the results they want. There's something still interfering with the innate intelligence. And usually it's the thoughts, it's the stinking thinking. Yeah. So if you don't do the inner work, if you don't inner size, it's going to be, I think, impossible to get the results you want. So in my academy, every coaching call we discuss that. I just yeah. wrapped up our last coaching call for the year and I finished up the last 10 minutes of the call giving them a message of that, uh, why we don't want to feed into hate, why we don't know what's going to happen in 2023 with the economy and the elections coming up. And there's always going to be craziness, but if you follow the news, that you're going to think the world's coming to an end. Don't follow that. Follow the your intuition and mm-hmm. feed into love and feel into the light and keep doing the things you need to do. Practice gratitude, work on yourself. So Amate, it's everything, man. Yeah. Um, and I, I, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of people, not just in the keto space, but the health space talk about that. And mm-hmm. I think they're neglecting a very important point. You talk about it, which is important, but we got to get more people speaking about this. Yeah. I mean, to, to be completely frank, we don't talk about it enough because we believe people are, are not there yet. Like most people, if they hear the word trauma, uh, let's say the three things can happen. First is a person that feels that it doesn't relate to them, which um, let's just say it's best case scenario. You know, it's not good because every one of us has some kind of trauma, as you said, in the first seven years of our of our of our existence. But let's say people believe it doesn't relate to them. The second uh, type of people are people that it's so it hits so close. Uh, the home that they close up, they are not, you know, they're not available to talk about it anymore. I mean, the entire psychedelic space right now is being, is 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 leaning on the shoulders of, or or is riding the shoulders of enabling people to deal with their traumas. And the third is obviously people who are just in the sweet spot of the hormetic trauma mm. dealing moment. So actually, so one of the bigger bigger things that we <laughs> have in our skincare products that we never, ever, ever talk about because we believe it is not going to create a good response with most people is that we have ingredients that deal with skin trauma. And I think if you talk about 
a bigger subject, which it, which is people's health and well-being. Trauma is, let's just talk about diet or losing weight or anything like that. Cortisol and lack of quality sleep are the two major drivers of, of, of weight retention, even though we can do everything else right. And do you even try and address it? I mean, it's so charged. It's so individual. It's actually not individual, but people, it is individual in the way that it is perceived. How do you even unpack it? I mean, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And it's a, it's a great question. Here's, here's how I unpack it. I explain to my students, but we'll explain mm -hmm. it to your audience that when we think about health and how to achieve optimal health so we can live a long, happy, healthy life, longevity is what we want. Yeah. The foundations are important, right? If you wanted to build a beautiful house, yeah. you got to make sure the foundation is strong. And then you could build the kitchen, the beautiful bedroom, the, the roof. Mm -hmm. But if that foundation is weak, that house will fall apart wall by wall. It doesn't matter how beautiful your kitchen is or the most expensive paint you use, mm -hmm. the foundation needs to be strong. So, well, same thing with your health. That foundation is not strong. You could be purchasing the best supplements in the world, doing the best diet, but if you're not working on the foundation, your health will fall apart wall by wall. So what are the foundations? Sleep is a foundation. Yeah. If you're not sleeping, you're not getting rid of the junk. You're not activating the glymphatic system. You're not allowing growth hormone. You're not allowing these amazing processes to mm -hmm. occur. It's foundational. Stress masterment is foundational. And that's where the mindset inner work comes into play. So mastering your stress don't let it master you. And that goes into the cortisol piece is another yeah. foundational part. And then movement, moving your body. And that could be working out. It could be playing basketball, but moving your body. Those are the foundations. And then you build on top of that. So that's the way I would explain it to them. And if you're neglecting any of those legs, any of the foundations, it doesn't matter what you do up here. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's perfect. Do you, do you explain, you know, let's call it meditation just so we can give it a name, but let's say, uh, you know, any kind of um, non-sleep, deep rest, meditation, mindfulness. Do you even touch those subjects or is it the subject that you're saying, you know, you should explore it, go ahead and register to Headspace or whatever that is? <laughs> yeah, Headspace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll share I'll share some of my favorites and I'll say you might not like one, might, one might not resonate mm -hmm. for you, but here's what I've seen work for me and others. So I would, re well, gratitude is, is a staple in there and that's yeah. a form of meditation. So practicing gratitude, writing it down, feeling it. Meditation, I don't personally meditate in the sense where I'm sitting and observing my thoughts, but mm -hmm. I do it in a different way where I'm walking around my neighborhood, where um, I'm just observing my thoughts and my environment and I'm yeah. present. I'm not you know, on my phone or anything. So I do it that way. Uh, I've also seen BrainTap work really well for mm -hmm. getting your HRV up and you know restoring that parasympathetic, sympathetic balance. Um, headspace is great, great option. So I'll just give them the option and say, why don't you try this for seven, 14 days and see if it sticks. If not, we'll move on to the next one. So giving them some tools and then having them kind of play around with them is what yeah. I do. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Uh, it's, it's thankfully that's, that's a very lucrative field right now. You know, the field of like uh, whatever you want to call it, mindfulness for that matter. I love brand tap. Yeah. I also love Nucom, which is, which is kind of, um, you know, if someone doesn't like flickering light, maybe it's going to be a better form for them. But uh, these are kind of a hands-off approach. And then obviously any type of like uh, meditation, walking around the neighborhood, which is like non-sleep, deep rest, where you're kind of in your thoughts and stuff. And obviously gratitude, which is, uh, I think gratitude and giving from yourself to others are probably the things that are the most, 
you know, uh, well-being cultivating, uh, you know, things that you can do in general. And it's so simple to do, especially if you have someone else to talk to. If you, if, you know, if you just ask them what they're grateful for, you're going to, you know, your competitive nature is going to be like, oh, uh, but, uh, I can say seven things. And they didn't say this about the fact that we are together or about our dog, the fact that it didn't have shedding on our couch for a while. You know, you, could, you can really go there and uh, take an adventure, adventure there. Something that I heard that I really like about gra- uh, gratitude is, you know, you should be, say that you're grateful for or feel grateful for whatever you don't want to lose. Like if you do it before you go to sleep, think of, okay, I have to be grateful for anything that I want to wake up with in the morning. Obviously, it's kind of overwhelming because <laughs> it's going to take a while. But uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good tip for those who struggle to approve, mm-hmm. like, Gratitude. Just think about what happens if they take it away, and then be exactly. grateful for it. Yeah, but that's vitamin. I call it vitamin G. My shirt actually. It's funny. My shirt actually says <laughs> gratitude, and it has vitamin G here. Awesome. Because uh, it's it's the strongest vitamin in the world, and it's not woo woo. There's research that shows that it activates serotonin, mm-hmm. dopamine, GABA, oxytocin, and twelve hundred other neurochemicals. Um, but how it works is very interesting because. There's a part of the brain, you know this, called the reticular activating system. It is the size of my pinky, mm-hmm. and it's in your brainstem. And this is the part of your brain that was put there by God. I believe God put it there as a way to prevent your brain from short-circuiting, mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning there are millions of stimulation every day, and you need something to filter that out. If otherwise, your brain would short-circuit. You wouldn't yeah. be able to focus. Your ancestors would have died. They would not be able to hunt and kill. Mm-hmm. So the RAS is that, that filtering system. And whatever you're feeding it, you're going to f- see more of. It's going to filter out other yeah. things that are not important according to these values mm-hmm. you've placed. It's going to only show you, or primarily show you the things that are, you've been feeding it. So example of how this works would be you want to buy a red car, uh, a red Ford um, Tundra, or is it a Ford Tundra? A Ford, um, let's say a red Ford Mustang. You mm-hmm. want to buy a red Ford Mustang and you buy the red Ford Mustang, and everywhere you go now, you see a red Ford Mustang, and you're thinking, "Well, <laughs> did everybody buy a red Ford Mustang?" No, it was yeah. always there. Now RAS filters it and sees it for you. So, with gratitude, it's the same thing. When you're focusing your attention and energy on what you appreciate, that appreciates your RAS mm-hmm. sees more things that in the past you would have been resentful for. Now you're grateful for. Yeah. When you're focusing on what's not working for you and what you hate and resent and are angry about, the RIS is going to give you more things to see that you hate, get angry for, and are resentful for. So that is how it works. And it doesn't happen overnight, but again, it's like the habitual thing over time. Now your RIS is so fine-tuned that all you see are opportunities and love and incredible things versus the hate and the things that were in the past. Yeah, 100%. And what my RAS is telling me right now when we were talking about it is that I really try to value or, or celebrate cumulative processes that take a lot of time. I think anything that is, does not, there are two things there. Either you've removed an, an obstruction, which can be great. You know, that's, that's one thing that, that can happen. But most of the time, if, you've, if, you've done, if you did a short process and you feel like that created a major change in your life, it probably, it's not something that you did. It's something that you've removed as an obstruction and your valuation of what was the problem was wrong. I mean, we can talk about like, 
it's a very touchy subject, but let's talk about veganism, okay? Like, uh, oh, you know, being a vegan is, uh, people say, oh, it's fantastic for me. I, I've done this process. It took me a month and I felt whatever. I felt like 100 times better. Well, maybe consider two things. First, you never cared about what you eat beforehand. That's called the healthy person bias, right? So like uh, healthy user bias. So basically you just now started to care that you're not eating pizza and I don't know, McDonald's like every day. That's number one. And so you've removed that obstruction. Number two, you are now eating. It takes more time. You're eating at home. You're cooking your own meals and you've removed the obstruction of like unhealthy um you know, seed oils, hopefully, or yeah, you've, you are now eating whole foods. So it's not necessarily, most diets, I feel like if they've created a big difference at a, at a short amount of time, it's not what you're doing is what you're not doing. So true. And, and sometimes to your point, more important than the diet you change to is the fact that you change your diet, right? It's the yeah. adaptation that occurs like to mm-hmm. your point. Yep. Yeah. 100%. So what is just, just to maybe bring, bring us to a, to a way where people can, as, as anyone listening would notice, you are a real wealth of information and, and a, uh, a, a, a fly, I call it, that everyone should have in their ear. So where can people start to uh, consume the Ben Azadi diet, for that matter, or the Keto Camp diet, informational diet? Like, what's the best way to expose someone to you? Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. I would say if you're a reader or if you like books, listen to a book or want to read a book, my book Keto Flex would be a great resource for you. It's available mm-hmm. on paperback, Kindle, and Audible. I, I narrated the Audible. So if you're more of a listener, um, you can find that over at ketoflexbook.com. And I'm all over social media. If you like if you like videos, then our YouTube channel is great. Uh, social media, we have small little clips on TikTok and Instagram. And then I have, uh, if you're a podcast listener, which obviously you are because you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> Uh, I have the Keto Camp podcast. We just passed 500 episodes on there. Amatai is coming on the show very, very soon too. So that would be another resource for you as well. Great. And how can they get into those? uh, You mentioned those coaching uh, calls, et cetera. How is that available? If they go to Mm benazadi.com, they'll see my programs. I have uh, what's called our Keto Camp Academy. Uh, Mm -hmm. When is this going to be released, Amatai? We are going to be releasing it within a month of the recording, but probably within two to three weeks. Okay. So I'm doing a a free seven-day keto challenge on January 9th through the 16th. So Mm -hmm. if this happens to be out by then, um, I'd love for your audience to join. It's for seven days. I have Dr. Daniel Pampa as a speaker, Dr. Mindy Pels, Dr. Boz, and Megan Ramos. And I'm going to be live streaming seven days in a row, two hours each live stream. It's free. We're giving away over $10,000 in prizes, and we're also giving away a one-year membership to my academy worth $4,000. So that's wow. ketocampchallenge.com. It's going to be great. That's amazing. Uh, okay, we'll try and get it out by then that, so people can enjoy no it. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> With production team, pressure. <laughs> Sorry, production team. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ben, thank you so much. Everything, all the uh, ways to kind of connect to Ben and, and consume his information is going to be in the podcast notes together with obviously uh, segmented uh, parts of this podcast if you want to go back and listen to them because it's been a pretty cool episode to record, I must say. But uh, yeah, Ben, I super appreciate the time that you uh, gave us today. I appreciate you as a friend. appreciate you as a, as a person on the left side of my, uh, my charts. 
<laughs> and uh, I wish you continued success in uh, spreading the uh, Keto Flex gospel. Thank you, brother. You're also a charger in my life so, and for so many others. So thank you so much, brother. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. You too.